What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined again by Coach Andrea. Andrea, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, as part of I never t- know what to say whenever you say that. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, thanks. Glad to be back. I know. Every time me and Chaz do the intros for our podcast, too, we just go back and, like, uh, no, you got to do the intro this time. No, you got to do it. Because it's uh, whoever's the second... <laughs> Whoever is the second person is always like, yeah, <laughs> I'm here every month, but cool. Um, but yes, as part of the team, you're always welcome. <laughs> so we have a Q&A today. Um, I know we've talked quite a bit about your cut and like what's going on with both of our trainings over the last few months. So let's, we have quite a few questions. So let's go ahead and just get right into them. You cool with that? Yep. Sounds good. Dope. All right. First one we have, and I'm going to put this one on you. What is more beneficial, supersets or straight sets in a two upper, two lower, one full body weekly split? Well, that depends on your goal and the, um, the adaptation that you want at that moment. So what I prefer, I'd say most of the time, so you want to cycle in and out of different types of training. Uh, but what, what I like as like the foundation is straight sets and then add in supersets for a different adaptation. So um, as like building a base and getting stronger in your movements, I really like straight sets because you can focus just on that one movement, just on that muscle group and really like hone in on your technique and your form and then rest and recover from that and then put your full effort into the next movement. But whenever you're trying to either be really efficient with your time, uh, I I like supersets just for that purpose. Like if you have uh, two thirds of the time that you normally have, then supersets are great because you can get it done really quickly. But also for like, if you're trying to um, uh, like deplete glycogen or like some sort of a metabolite phase, then supersets are great for that too. So it just really depends on the adaptation that you want from that movement or from that training. What do, yeah. what do you think? I, I fully agree. And it's very much, like you said, it depends on the adaptation, right? Like if it is a phase where we're just, if it's a more metabolic focused phase. So again, like the purpose of this is like, hey, maybe we do want to improve conditioning a little bit more or improve more like burn more glycogen or the goal is to get a crazy pump which is some phases we take clients through like those are the adaptations we're primarily chasing then supersets are smart yes but i would say on the flip side um if she's training five days per week like the main outside of that like we shouldn't always be in those phases and i would say probably those are for most clients we work with those are the minority of that's like the majority of the phases that we're in. Would you agree with that? I phrased that weird, but does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like the, we're, yeah. less, we're less in those than like a normal hypertrophy phase, right? Exactly, yeah. So um, the benefit of supersets past that is going to be the fact that they're going to allow you to accrue more volume. So for a client that has three, maybe four days per week to train, like we're probably going to use more supersets just so they can get enough volume in to drive the adaptation, like get the stimulus we need to get the adaptations they want. Now, when we come to someone that's training like five to six days per week, what I would say is if you're using a lot of supersets, you're probably almost doing, like you shouldn't, like training five days per week, you shouldn't have to do 
like a ton of supersets to get enough volume to stimulate growth. So what that tells us in turn is like the volume you're doing probably isn't effective. The, would you agree with that? Yeah, I like supersets more so for like single joint movements, just because it doesn't take as much focus. Like it's pretty easy to feel and connect with a bicep curl mm -hmm. or like a tricep extension. And right. those are the kind of things where it's like you, you want some volume. You're probably looking for at least maintenance volume on those muscle groups, if not looking to grow them. Uh, so, but they also... <laughs> they're not like, a, sometimes they can feel like an afterthought, like a kind of a waste of, of time within your training. Like, I don't know it, that maybe that's just me, but whenever I'm designing a training program, I think of like the bigger movements, like an upper body push day would be like chest press and shoulder movements. And then it's like, oh yeah, I need to add in some arms, but maybe that's just cause I have never focused on like getting huge biceps, but yeah, <laughs> I think of those as like a really good thing to add on in the end where you can add in some arm volume mm -hmm. for those smaller muscles that don't take as much concentration and don't take as much recovery. Um, and so I, I like them for that. Yeah. And that's, I, I agree. Like isolation movements as well. Like currently I'm training five days per week upper, lower, upper, lower, upper. And like many of my clients are following the same split. And we will superset like isolation movements just to get through things quicker because there's not a major detriment to that. But I mean, and I, it's not necessarily that one superior to the other, but I would say if you have time to do, and like we're not chasing, like if it's not like a metabolic focused training phase, you're probably, most people are gonna be able to get more out of their compound movements doing it as a straight set as opposed to a superset, right? And that's what like, she, she didn't say she was doing one or the other, she just asked what is better. So, well, it's, it depends on the goal. I would say probably straight sets for the most of your compound movements, um, unless you're very limited on time. Like maybe she's training five days per week, but she only has 30 minutes to train, right? But if she's in there five days a week for an hour, I would say like do straight sets with your compound movements. And if you feel like you have to do like, so much volume that you have to use a ton of supersets for your compound movements to like get a decent training effect. Probably again, you would be better served to drop it back to straight sets, maybe even drop the number of sets and focus on like your execution and intensity. And you probably get more out of yeah. those sets. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Supersets can easily turn into a bunch of light circuit work, just chasing more calorie burn. Mm -hmm. So I, I really like for, especially women to focus if they're new ish, to focus uh, more on the like compound lifts, just because it's new. Most women have always done circuits or supersets or just trying to avoid rest at all causes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, in that case, like in, in that situation, unless it is somebody who's um, not doing this on a consistent basis and just wants like a more efficient workout or to add them in for extra volume, then I would say like, focus the most of your training on straight sets. I couldn't agree more. Cool. All right. Next question we have is, do I still progressive overload if I just want to maintain muscle in my arms, but not build more? <laughs> so this sounds more in line with what you were saying before. We like not really wanted to focus on that. Um, I'd be interested to hear your take. I think that I would still, uh, I would still focus on hitting your RIR, but I would drop set volume. So what I mean by that is, okay, let's say that 
Because I mean, the reality is, okay, biceps, triceps, if we're doing upper body pushing and upper body pulling, they are still going to get some volume there. I don't personally think that's going to be quite enough volume to still maintain. What I would say is like, if the goal is literally to maintain, I would probably do like two sets of elbow flexion. So basically like a bicep curl variation. And this is a very generalized number, but we know you can maintain on about one third of the volume that it takes you to build, right? I would do two sets of like bicep flexion. So like some type of bicep curl once per week, two sets of some type of um, elbow extension. So again, like a tricep push down and overhead extension, basically a tricep isolation movement. Make sure you're still aiding around one to two RIR. And I would say for most people, like two to three sets there combined. And this, this of course depends. So I'm kind of making an assumption here. Like if, if you are someone that's like, I've been doing hella volume, my arms have gotten crazy jacked. Like I have 22 inch arms. It's probably going to take more volume than that. But again, I think like, um, so again, we want to look at probably around a third of your overall volume that it takes you to build. But I would say like rather here, I would still focus on hitting your RAR targets, right? Because the question was, because so basically those sets I would still take to one to two reps shy of failure and those plus your compound lifts should be enough to maintain um, your arm musculature. But like the question being, should I progressive overload? Over time still, I would just hit your RAR targets, right? Because over time, if you are still getting stronger, which the reality is you probably won't see much of a strength improvement there if you're only doing those amount of sets. So there I would say you can keep the weight the same and just hit your RIR. But if you do see yourself getting stronger, which again is pretty unlikely if we're just right around maintenance volume, but if you do happen to see so, I would yeah, move up weight and keep hitting because then like that weight that we were using previously for however many reps for those two sets is going to be less stimulative than it was before. And then we could see a little bit of a drop. Actually, if it's like I want to keep my arms like the exact size as they are, which I'll also say. Uh, actually that's not the first time I've heard that because I, that I have had a, I've talked about that with a couple of women, but, um, yeah, that would be my take on it. I would say again, like you don't want to have to push for progressive overload, kind of just let it happen. It's kind of like the idea of rather than like we proactively add weight pro progressive overload is like something that reactively happens, right? Like you're doing your bicep curls and like last week you did 25 for 10 and that was one RIR. Now you do 25 to 10 and you're like, oh man, this feels like two to three RIR. Okay, if they do another rep, right? But don't push for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, our, if you look at RPs, it's Renaissance Periodization's um, guidelines on arm training and uh, maintenance volume. And then the next one up is uh, minimum effective volume the jump is pretty big. So maintenance volume for arms, because you're using them in pressing movements and pulling movements, it's like zero to four sets. So you can get away with zero sets because you're getting some volume with the pressing and stuff. Right. Um, and then if you jump up to minimum effective volume, it's like 14 to 20 sets. So if you're using progressive overload, yeah, it's a big jump. If you're using progressive overload, with um your pulling and pushing movements and even like your single joint if you choose to do 
zero to four sets. <laughs> like if you're doing four sets over the course of the week um, and you're pushing for progressive overload just because you like it and you want to get stronger in those movements still, then I don't think you're in any danger of growing anymore unless you just have like crazy good arm growth genetics. Yeah, that's that's a great insight. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a wrong approach or either way, but yeah, I, I like that. That's a good point. Like you probably, if you will enjoy pushing for progressive overload, yeah, you're probably safe to do so as long as you're not doing a ton of sets on top of that. Yeah, yeah, you're just not going to accumulate enough volume. So whenever you're doing 15 sets over the course of the week and you add five pounds on each of those sets, that adds up to a lot of extra volume. But if you're doing two sets or four sets over the course of the week and you add five pounds to each of those, it doesn't add up to that much extra volume. So I just don't think that you're in any danger of it happening by accident. I, I think anybody who's been training for a pretty long time will tell you that it's not going to happen by accident. <laughs> yeah, that's no one, no one like accidentally gets jacked. That's the thing like so many people have been trying to get jacked for years and it's like yeah this is a very slow process it doesn't happen on accident yeah yeah my favorite analogy is you're getting run over by a turtle <laughs> a mile away or <laughs> however long away i try i try to use that with clients quite a like new clients on our initial call quite a bit and i feel like i kind of lose people with the like <laughs> yeah this is anyways um question for you for someone who hasn't been super consistent with training, do you think they still need to deload after five to six weeks of training once they hop on board or maybe go a bit longer? Will you say that one more time? I was for thinking about the giant turtle. <laughs> <laughs> for someone who hasn't been super consistent with training, do you think they still need to deload after five to six weeks of training once they hop on board or um, maybe go a bit longer? If you haven't been super consistent with training, more and more I am having people just transition into a different phase versus a deload. Uh, if you are in a strength sport, you probably need a more frequent deload because of the like nervous system fatigue and you just need a break. Like you need to give your joints a break. And you're if you're in a strength sport like powerlifting, then you're going to be going back to the same movements. But if your goal is hypertrophy, then you can transition into different movements. You don't have to be repeating the same ones. And so if you just transition into a different phase, then that gives you a deload from that like same stimulus. And you sort of back off on the volume anyway, because if you're, um, like building, building, building over the course of that mesocycle, and then you drop back to the beginning of a new mesocycle, you naturally, like you have to get used to the movements and you're not gonna be doing as much weight as like you will be able to in the next four weeks. So it's kind of a natural deload and it gives you like a break and a new something to get used to. So I, I've been doing that more and more for myself and for clients. I, that's very similar to what it I do as well. Like there's just not a, if someone hasn't been consistently training, there's not going to be a ton of fatigue accumulated. So normally what I would say is like in a situation like this, I would probably start the client. Like let's say they're training four days per week. I would probably start them at two RIR, right? And then over the course of five weeks, we'll progress from like two, one to two, one. 
zero to one. Is that four weeks or five weeks? Two, one to two, one. Okay, that was four weeks. But so let's let's roll with this four weeks. Then like the fifth week, again, like maybe we're changing up some movements. Um, like it's the start of the new mesocycle. I would say at most, I would probably just, hey, we're going to do three RR this week. And maybe we're going to max out at like three sets of everything. Like pro- Probably right around three sets is where I would go there. But again, like you'll be able to see in their biofeedback and their motivation, et cetera, if they really need a deload, but they probably won't by this point. I would say one thing is like with people better understanding RIR and how important fatigue management and all these things are, I've kind of seen an interesting thing where this is actually one of our clients This is who asked this question, who is actually like the opposite of, of this, uh, Julie, who's like always very, she's pushes very hard and she's one where it's like, Hey, we do need to dial this back a little bit. Like we need to take a deload. Right. It's like, are you sure? It's like, yeah, no, really, really we need to do this. So she's not a good example of this, but I have seen like more and more like with RR coming out, I think people forget, people always look at like fatigue as a bad thing and it's easy to forget that like, okay, we have to incur some fatigue to actually like get the stimulus to grow. Right. Um, like, a, I remember a couple months ago, one, one client I was talking to was like, yeah, I actually like, I cut my three RR sets at like five RR just cause I didn't want to like incur any fatigue. Um, I was like, well, like, <laughs> okay, we, we like fatigue. <laughs> if we don't create fatigue, we'll never grow. Right. So that's, um, I don't remember where I was going with that. Anyways, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, well, with specifically somebody who's new too, they, a lot of times uh, I'll go like, I'm thinking of one uh, client who started with me uh, eight months ago, Emily. Mm-hmm. She was brand new to training. And uh, whenever whenever she started, she was brand new to training. And at that time, like you just don't have the coordination and like even like uh, rigidity in your core during movements to even put enough force into the movements that you would get that much fatigue. So with her, we, I mean, her situation is different now because she's pregnant, but I still have not had her do a true deload because like her biofeedback hasn't showed that she has really needed it and then it like in other situations whenever it's somebody a little bit more advanced I've just gone into a strength phase with them and Mm -hmm. it's just a whole new adaptation and that drops off some fatigue just from having lower volume and that has worked great no for sure that's a good point too I just because Emily's three days per week full body right Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which is also a good point because if somebody's doing three days per week, even with it being full body, they're going to need a lot less uh, deload weeks just because they're not accruing as much fatigue as somebody who's working out six, uh, five to six days a week. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's like, I have, I have clients that have been training three days per week, full body for well over a year and I've never deloaded them just because it's not necessary right like like you said one some of that is going to be specific to the adaptation that we're chasing right so like if you've done a lot of hypertrophy training and like fatigue from that is super high we can also just start chasing a different adaptation so like okay let's switch to 
like uh and it's if you listeners go back and listen to the episode with cody moxley where he talked about this idea of recovery ability um if we focus on a different adaptation again like like we can look at okay like fatigue is super high so maybe we're going to take this to like an incomplete rest method style of training where we're going to have super short rest periods um like the first maybe we're doing four sets but the first two sets should be like a little bit further from failure we really don't want to get too close to it till, but like more than anything like again we're like bringing your conditioning back up and there you're going to get a pump you're going to get but it's going to be like a different adaptation almost a different style of training we can just transition to that rather than having to take like hey we're going to cut your volume in half intensity down by like two points right yeah um yeah the um Luke Lehman, he had a really similar input exactly. on that too. Like once you get kind of a plateau and like fatigue built up with hypertrophy work, then start working on your aerobic system. And once that kind of plateaus, then you can work on strength and you're just cycling in and out of things and consistently making progress on something while maintaining what you're resting on. Cool. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And we're very much on the same page with that. Um, next question was do you or when would you implement maintenance calories during a deload and a fat loss phase so this is something that's debated quite a bit i hear mike isertel and steve from revive stronger have talked about this quite a bit um basically do you need to bump calories to maintenance during a fat loss phase honestly and i think i did this when i coached you correct maintenance during a deload yeah because i remember i, I remember so. I remember you not enjoying it very much. <laughs> I, well, yeah, in the middle of a fat loss phase, I, uh, it was one of those just mental things where I'm like, I'm resting and I'm eating more at the same time. And this feels mm -hmm. like I'm going to go backwards. So yeah, I do remember that. I will say that's not in a fat loss phase. I typically don't, if anything, like, I really think it makes more sense for most people to plan. Like if you are going to take a week at maintenance, the reality of most people's lives that we work with is they're most people that we work with are relatively advanced. They've been training for at least a couple of years, but it's not to the extent of like, you are like Mike Ezretel to where your life is. Well, I don't know. If, I don't I can't say what his life is, but like, you're not okay. I'm literally going to hop on stage and like, I want to comp compete to be a pro bodybuilder, right? Like I want to look like, yeah, I want to build muscle. I want to look lean and athletic and strong. Like I'm a gin pop bodybuilder basically. But again, like I have a life outside of this. So if I think for most people, uh, most clients that I work with, we will plan like every, every six to some clients really want to push it. Like 12 weeks, we'll take one to two weeks of maintenance. Really more and more. I like like every five to six weeks, we'll take a week of maintenance. But I think for most people that tends to be like, okay, every five to six weeks, there is a time where, it would work best with your diet regardless to take a weekend maintenance during this time, right? And I'm going to base that around what's easiest for them to adhere to. Like, okay, you're going on this trip this week. Okay, cool. Let's make this your weekend maintenance rather than like around the deload. Um, from there, I, from personally, I still think it makes more sense to pair it with like your final week of training before the deload if you do want to center it around this rather than the deload week. But really, like, I think we're kind of, no matter what, you're not going to be building a lot of muscle during that time. Um, I would say if I feel like like a client is in the deload, biofeedback is really shitty still towards the end of the deload week, and I don't think they're going to be in a good place to push the next week. 
then maybe we'll take like two to three days around maintenance. But honestly, in most cases, it seems to make sense to just, as long as the client is able, is like in a good place to push for the next mesocycle, I think it makes sense to just stick with fat loss macros and get the fat loss phase done with sooner rather than later. Um, I kind of think, personally, I think it kind of gets to the point where we're splitting hairs a little bit too much. Again, like even then, like as long, again, like if, if someone's biofeedback is poor, and they're really seeming to struggle even like through the deal a week. Okay. We'll probably bump calories a bit the last couple of days, but outside of that, again, I think you're just unnecessarily getting too cute for something that's not going to make very much difference. Like no matter what, you're not going to build very much muscle during this time, if any. Right. So let's just get the fat loss phase done with is my take. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly don't even think I have a great answer on this one because I, just base it on the person so much. Like I don't have a go-to way that I do it. Like you said, a lot of times it's based on the person's life. Like there's always going to be something coming up where their life is disrupted for the, you know, five to seven days and they are going to take it then so that they can eat more. Um, Like I said, I've been using deloads less and less, but I can see arguments both ways on like, should you take it during your last week so that you can put that glycogen to good use and push harder in training? Or should you use it during the deload so that you can like fully recover both systems at once? Like you're, you're refilling glycogen stores, you're resting your body from training. I can see both ways. So I really don't have like a go-to way that I use it. It just is completely based person to person on how I'll use that. So I agree. I a lot of input on that one. No, I agree. It's something that I see talked about quite a bit. And I think it's kind of, as you said, it depends. But also, I think for most people, it's just splitting hairs a little bit too much. Um, I would just look at biofeedback. Is it needed? Is it not needed? And that should be the determinant, I would say. Cool. Yeah. For for each person, there will be a right answer. But exactly as a blanket statement, I don't think there's one right answer. No. No, I couldn't agree more. It should depend on the individual. Cool. That is all the questions we have. So as always... Thank you all for tuning in and we will talk to you guys next time.